Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast in your short form, though it's not super short this time around, but it's at least intended to be our short form interview show catching up with, happen to have John Doonan, president of IMSA, joining us to talk about a serious point of celebration, massive entry list for them to kick off the season coming up here at Daytona. This weekend, we have the roar before the 24 test. Also, the qualifying races that will take place on Sunday. But more than that, the Rolex 24 kicking off 27th through the 30th. The race itself begins on Saturday the 29th. So I wanted to talk to John about, hey, year-to-year growth. This is really significant, getting up to 61 cars to launch the year. Then a very solid number as well. Uh, High 30s for the season. So just talking about that, talking about the classes where we've seen the growth GT obviously being the big positive area. Get towards the end, talk about a little bit of futurish type things. P2, uh, what should they do there? Should they hold tight and stick with this current formula even though there's a new one coming? Talk a little bit about a few other aspects of the series. Overall, appreciate John's time. There's some more coming here. He says there's some news uh, we should look for coming up at the Rolex 24, so happy about that. Also gives us pretty solid insights to what he's seen with these LMDH cars, all except for the Porsche, and kept behind closed doors. So hope you enjoy this episode of Catching Up with IMSA President John Doonan here on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. John Doonan, we have... A brand new, fresh out of the oven. Oh, smells like a beautiful Michelin tire right out of the uh, right out of the old stove of a 2022 IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season. I appreciate you taking some time here, getting ready for our world to be unveiled. Roar before the 24. Now in its second year, coming right before the Rolex 24. Thought it'd just be a good opportunity, John, to look at a shining piece of achievement known as the Roar Entry List. <laughs> uh, uh, last year, I think it might have been two pages long, maybe three. This year, it's five. And that strikes me as something that, as the president of IMSA, any president of any series, would love to see a giant year-to-year explosion of entries for its big, you know, uh, kickoff event. Why don't we start there? Tell me about that a little bit, John. Obviously, behind the scenes, you get to see the entries trickling in. You know, you and your staff know all the secrets before we get to see how big the list is going to be. But compared to what you saw for the Roar in 2021, moving here to 61 cars, in 2022 tell us a little bit about that and and maybe how we got to that number well first uh thanks for having me it's great to be back uh on uh, your podcast um hope everybody's had a a good quote off season i'd say um and we talked about this uh as a as a staff right after motul petit lamar even though it was the season finale it felt a lot like the first race of a new season. Um, there was a uptick in car count. 
at, at Road Atlanta, Michelin Raceway, Road Atlanta. And it, um, it, it really felt like the momentum was building. Um, we certainly did not have a mandate to hit 60 cars for the 60th running. It, it truly, I think, was just the next step in that momentum building uh, that we saw uh, to close out 2021. Um, I think the toner budget, to your point, might have gone <laughs> up uh, here <laughs> as we uh, printed, printed those entry sheets. Um, but all kidding aside, uh, we're, we're super grateful for the team's um, the programs that have uh, found a way uh, in the off season or uh, in anticipation of what is to come. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit to put a program together, to be with us, uh, to kick off the, the, the 2022 weather tech championship here at Daytona, uh, obviously it's the Rolex 24, but you know, the, the, the key word for me is momentum. I mean, uh, we saw that, at uh, building it, Road Atlanta, it's continued. And, you know, it's not just given our entries and, and how they've come in, a one and done for Daytona. I think we're going to see a, a really nice field um, throughout the season. You know, at, at the longer races in the Michelin Endurance Cup, you know, 45 to 50 cars is what I think is, as of today, a realistic number. And then, you know, at the, at the, the sprint cup races or the, the shorter events, you know, a pretty solid 35 to 40. So a lot to be proud of. Uh, we don't uh, rest on our laurels here at IMSA, uh, but I think it might be a step towards what's coming relative to um, the future. You know, we saw convergence in the top category and, and we're seeing what we felt was a leadership position in GT3 unfold before our eyes in a positive way. So excited about uh, where we are. Um, Want to make sure that we have a quality experience for all the participants and certainly for the audience. And uh, it's going to be an exciting couple weeks. Want to get to the prototype stuff, John, for sure. But you mentioned yeah. GT. And that is the area, if I'm talking about achievement, that's what stands out. So I'll maybe overstate the obvious. Your predecessor uh, in this role, presidential role at IMSA, and even before that at the American Le Mans Series, Scott Atherton, he was, was not unfamiliar with me raising holy hell over whatever that I thought was insufficient, being poorly... Uh, attended to or otherwise so i am never averse to saying what the bleep is going on in this area or that area i'm struggling to find a lot of that right now and that's a great thing the fact that it seems like just about everywhere that i look on this entry list and what imps is getting prepared for in 2022 like there's reasons for celebration like i said I, if there are things to pick at we'll pick at them I'm just not finding them, which, which is such a heartening thing. And I'd say the GT side of the weather tech championship is really driving that overall, uh, viewpoint, John, uh, I believe the highest number of GT Le Mans entries class that sadly, uh, we had to put to sleep at the end of 2021, but 
GTLM, the place for manufacturers to race their GT cars in that special GTLM formula, Ford, Porsche, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Great stuff over the years. I believe the highest entry number we saw in that class was 11 at any IMSA event throughout the years since it was launched in 2014. 13 entries for its replacement class GTD Pro using the all GT3 based formula in its in your pro am class GTD which has been around and always been the the biggest success in terms of car count in the WeatherTech Championship. So here we go into the first race of the year Monster 22 car GTD entry for the pro am uh, drivers and then you stack 13 in this new pro-level GT3 racing and GTD Pro, 35 GT3 cars taking the green flag uh, here at the end of the month, John. So sorry for the long preamble, but like I said, hey, if there's stuff to nitpick, of course, I'm there. let's do it. But tell me about this, because this sure looks like a crowning achievement uh, in terms of year-to-year development. Well, I, I appreciate the kind words and, and very much the lead in. I think we had a lot of internal discussions about the future of GT. And we felt given the timing of GTE, or obviously in our case, GTLM's homologation period, that the timing was right to do ultimately what we did last January. So we're a year away, uh, you know, a year forward from making the announcement that this was the direction we were heading. The announcement wasn't made with certainly without some consultation with the 10 uh, plus manufacturers in GT and IMSA. Um, we, We definitely took everybody's temperature. We asked them what their feelings were. Um, and we have a, you know, a saying around the office here, the market will speak and all of the manufacturers, uh, without a doubt, uh, including Corvette racing felt that we were heading in the right direction. Um, the cars are far more readily available globally. They are cost effective, um, to, to campaign and, um, the people um, that, that support customers, the, the OEMs, the people that are the customers that make the investment uh, to run have have spoken. And, you know, for, for all of us at IMSO, we want to uh, put on a great show <laughs> on stage here, which we're going to have, you know, 24 hours of here uh, a week from, from now. Um, and I, I can't, I can't imagine how it could get much better. Um, I think uh, traffic is not going to be for the faint of heart, um, but the decisions we made in positioning the BOP in a similar manner to get everybody on the same tire, um, to uh, have things like drive time and, and um, you know, overall, uh, you know, pit stop length equalized has put us in a place where at the end of the day, when, when the race is on the line, you're going to have top drivers in all the cars and 
what, you know, let's, let's see what happens and I'll rack them up. And I think, um, you know, coming out of what has been a, a challenging time with a lot of headwinds, um, as a sport, we have a lot to be proud of, not just IMSA, but the collective, you know, the manufacturers, the, the independent teams, um, and, and us as a sanctioning body. In the end, I just hope the beneficiaries of it are, are the fans when we put on uh, an incredible show. I'm going to jump to prototype, John, and then maybe we'll circle back and, and look at a couple of more inside baseball or specific things before we let you back to work here. Transition year coming up for DPI, obviously out of DPI into LMDH when we come back a year from now at Daytona with hybrid prototypes. Final year for the DPI. Two manufacturer fight now, right? Unfortunately, uh, Mazda's stepped back, but we do have a rich Cadillac versus Acura battle to look forward to. Tell me about your thoughts about the top class. Not as many full season entries as maybe we had hoped. Of course, we'd love to have three, five, 10, 20 manufacturers. Tell me uh, your thoughts about what we might get in terms of season long quality as we get ready to say farewell to DPI. Maybe also share some thoughts about DPI, what it's been since it arrived in 20, uh, 2017 and contributed to IMSA. Well, I think maybe start back at your opener. You know, when when folks have said uh, transition year, I I obviously that's a fitting word because we are trans transitioning to a new platform. But I I actually think it's a momentum year, and and the reason I say that is um, clearly uh, the marketplace, all our fans have seen the announcements and the commitment to the next chapter. Um, and that is LMDH. Um, so there, there is that, um, you know, you look down the, the tunnel and you, you see LMDH coming, uh, which, is an, which is a tremendous thing. And I think LMDH is the um, offspring <laughs> of DPI. Um, the vision that Jim France had around DPI. Um, it harkens back for you and I, uh, because we were hanging on the fences, uh, to the GTP days, mm. you know, the, the idea that a OEM could, could take their engine of choice, uh, install it in a, a cost effective chassis from one of four constructors and then design a set of body work that speaks to their brand messaging, uh, design cues, um, you name it, you know, think back and, you know, uh, the Corvette GTP, uh, the BMWs, uh, the Porsches, um, the Toyotas, ultimately the Nissans, like for me, um, DPI actually harkened back to that, mm. but look, look to, you know, look at what transpired since 2017. Um, four OEMs at some point played a part in that. Um, the racing has been spectacular. 
uh, you know, Cadillac had its days in the sun very early and has remained strong with race wins and championships and polls. You know, Acura came in, um, created an even greater battle, won a couple championships, won plenty of races. Um, I was fortunate um, in my previous life, so blessed to be part of it, um, ultimately finding a way to get to Victory Lane. And then that program carried on at Mazda for um, race wins and polls and track records, uh, ultimately winning its its uh, farewell race. Uh, Nissan came and made their mark um, with a harken back to, to their history, um, both uh, when CORE ran the program and, and certainly when uh, the Patron program was, was active. So I think there's a great deal to be proud of. I think while there may not be a double digit grid in DPI for 2022, uh, the quality is still there. And I know you've talked to all the drivers that are going to be part of uh, what's going to be an incredible battle in DPI this year. Um, it's going to be an awesome show um, setting us up for um, what is going to be a new chapter in the history of, of top level sports car racing. So, um, yep, it's going to be, you know, a seven car field at Daytona, uh, six for most of the season, uh, maybe, maybe a few more um, than that at a few races, but um, I think what we're in for is really, really strong. The quality of the teams, the quality of the drivers, and obviously two proven packages uh, with the Acura program and the Cadillac. Um, I think it'll come down to the last race, much like it did last year, to be honest. Been trying to get the budget together to bring back a PKO Daytona prototype uh, for uh, Petit <laughs> Le Mans. So I'm hoping you'll let me enter that. Just as, uh, yeah. you know, if we're saying bye to DPI, you know, come on, let me have some fun. Um, let me ask this, and I know it's always uh, a faux pas to do this uh, in a audio-based interview, but I know you can't tell us exactly what each manufacturer is doing, but I assume you have seen some or many renderings, uh, not necessarily the public, any of the public things, but the actual real renderings of what we think some of the LMDH cars are going to look like. Can you at least give us a, a feel as someone who know, you know, your Mazda RT 24 P heralded as the most beautiful among all DPIs, but at least knowing what the current DPIs all of what they have looked like since they debuted. Can you at least give folks an idea uh, from what you've seen behind the scenes privately of the LMDHs from whomever, how do they look? Is it cool? Do they look different enough? Are there areas of styling that are more stylish than what we've seen? At least paint a little bit of a, a, a mental picture, if you could, John, while we wait to see some of these things uh, or more of them truly uncovered. Yeah, I mean, not to be corny, but... Uh, I'd ask all your listeners to close their eyes for a minute and imagine the DPIs of today and take that to the next level of styling um, from the nose, the lighting, 
the side pods, which in LMDH regulations allow for more um, styling in the side pods, the tail, the integration of the rear wings. Um, it is, um, and I've seen them all, you're correct, um, mostly in imagery, but also got the opportunity to see one of the cars and, and a wind, wind tunnel size um, life form. And I, I just, I'm blown away. I was, I was literally stopped in my tracks, you know, chin on the floor, blown away by um, how beautiful the cars look, all of them. And I think for those who looked at what was done in this, call it first generation DPI, um, it's now taken it to the next level. And the stories that can be told around each of the brands um, are are so incredible because as you, you know, as you know, I, I had the opportunity to be part of bringing one from clean sheet to reality. And the number of design departments, the same individuals that design road cars are deeply involved in the design of these prototypes. And I, I referred to it back in the day, and I think it's even more fitting now. Imagine walking into a design studio at a major automaker and gathering everybody up in a circle and saying, you get the opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, to design the newest Porsche, Cadillac, BMW, Acura, Audi, race car. And here's, here's the parameters. Here's the box. I mean, it's like telling a group of, of kindergartners, hey, design a room, uh, a rocket to go to the moon. <laughs> like it is, you know, kids in a candy store when they're given this opportunity. And I, you know, I don't want to devalue how premium these cars look and how exciting they look. But think of the experience for these designers who are day-to-day -day designing the road cars that are seen in the showroom and then getting the opportunity to take that to the next level. Um, and uh, I, I just know for a fact how many of them have been engaged in it. So it's not just a motorsports group or a motorsports engineering group that's designing these race cars to go fast. There's a, a completely different brand design group involved in making sure the car messages uh, the brand that it represents. If Incredible. One of, I mean, it's so exciting. <laughs> if one of these models don't have a rocket strap to the back, I'm going to be really disappointed here, okay? <laughs> if it doesn't, we are going to get some of those kindergartners hey, we gotta, working. we got to draw the line somewhere. All right, well, uh, all right. Um, let's talk a little bit about the other two prototype classes quickly john lmp2 hoping uh, granted the uh the the numbers for daytona uh, i would say strong again i think same numbers last year 10 and at yeah. least by my informal count five ish for the full season um, i'd love it for it to be six so 
uh, I think last year was four full-time. So some growth there, at least from the, the positive things that I've heard speaking with a Bobby Ergel from PR one or Ryan Dial driver for uh, the era team. You talk a lot about stability something that they can build on now. Uh, it seems like P2 is in a good place, year-to-year consistency of what it's going to be, rules-wise, budget-wise, you name it. Where do you see P2 in the future here, John? Again, we it, it seems like we're all day, all night, LMDH coming in 2022, but you know, there's also a... a regulatory rule change meant to come for the next generation P2 cars. Wonder though, not asking you to make a firm commitment, but part of me wonders, Hey, if I, if I'm starting to hear from the regular drivers in the class, team owners in the class saying, got a good thing. It's building momentum. Well, let's, let's keep that momentum. Do you, does IMSA say, you know, even though there's a new generation of P2 cars coming, do we maybe just say, hey, these are Reka 07s or whatever, you know, has become the norm. Maybe we hold on to those for a few more years and then think about changing to whatever the latest, greatest might be after we've built up the class even more. I think it's a great, a great, great point. And, and we're super excited that we're back to 10 uh, for the Rolex 24. And I think we'll see that five to, to six for the full season that that's where we're sitting hopefully as of today um yeah i think one of the things i said in the opening was i think some of the momentum we're seeing in car count is people looking a little bit into their crystal ball at what's coming and because of the opportunity we have with uh, regulations converging in the top category. Um, I think some of the P2 programs that have um, been pillars in IMSA, you mentioned PR1, you know, Tower, and certainly now United and um, and the PDS folks have joined us, High Class Racing has joined us, um, Allgarb or, or the, the G-Drive group. Um, Dragon I Speed, think- yep. Exactly. You know, they're all uh, in a place of maybe positioning themselves, um, which is awesome to be uh, a a program in LMDH, whether they're able to secure a factory endorsed effort or um, they plan to be one of the customer teams that so many of the OEMs have mentioned is in their plan. So I think they want to come run an IMSA to, to experience IMSA and, and to experience the circuits that we visit, which is awesome. I think they're looking at it also from a long-term play. Um, we made a commitment early um, that, that we would maintain the, the current IMSA power levels, aero levels, and obviously with our great partners at Michelin, uh, the tire, um, to support the the class separation that we've had um, and also to retain the value of the driving experience for for those who invest in racing in LMP2. So uh, Hugh Deshonak uh, and that entire team 
uh, Jacques Nicolet at, at Liget, um, you know, the, the folks that have been um, the most prominent LMP2 cars are to be commended. The, the folks at Gibson have done an awesome job um, with building a power plant that's extremely reliable. Uh, so it really comes down to, to, to driver and, and team execution. So um, happy with this year. You, know, you ask about the future. We're continuing to, to gauge uh, the marketplace here. We're continuing to have conversations with um, our partners at the ACO, Pierre Fion, uh, Terry Bouvet, about what we do as a sport in this space. Um, no decisions yet, but I think it's something we have to continually analyze based on the performance levels of LMP2, the expectations of what uh, the top category cars, LMDH, um, will do in terms of performance and try to make the best decisions uh, we can for um, great competition and also be sensitive around car count. Um, you know, we added LMP3 last year, and I think to our, um, our pleasant, uh, I think, surprise, um, the quality of the teams, the quality of the driving, uh, the quality of the competition um, proved really, really nicely um, for, for IMSA. I uh, was super pleased with um, the number of cars that came. It was, frankly, the right number, I think. Not too big, uh, not too few. Uh, so we, we um, are sitting in a good place. You mentioned 35 GT cars earlier. Uh, we got 26 prototypes, um, which just makes the whole field uh, complete in my mind. Can't disagree there. I will continue to raise my hand and say, yes, I'm the guy who, when asked to predict how many LMP2 car, three cars, how many LMP3 cars would finish on debut in the WeatherTech Championship last year at the Rolex 24, said zero. And so yeah. my prediction was 0, 0.0 in accuracy. So I, uh, I love getting guff from folks about that. Like, Hey, Pruitt got any more, uh, got any more predictions to which I say, Nope, I'm going to, I'm going to fall on my sword for that one. And that's a cool thing though. Right? Because I didn't think the P three cars are really going to last going to compliment the show thousand percent wrong. And so now we have, I would say, uh, growth here too, coming into the new season speaking with some of the folks in p3 colin brown i always look at as a really smart person with a, a good view of uh, what's happening in whatever class he's racing in and he is so excited to see p3 coming back nine cars for the rolex 24 a healthy number um for the full season as well this i would say is gone from i don't know if you'll agree but Felt a little bit like an experiment last year to, oh, no, no, this is working. And we have a really solid place in the big series, in the WeatherTech Championship, for folks to start learning uh, to be, become better prototype drivers and move up the ranks just like you have in GTD. Yeah. 
you're 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 spot on and and that's kind of the internal discussions to be transparent that we had hey let's let's do this um let's make sure that the quality of the teams and the quality of the drivers that come um are are at a standard um you know it wasn't a, a yellow flag instigator uh lmp3 being added to the WeatherTech championship and to your point quite the contrary when you have riley and core and performance tech um and and, and now a team like jr3 that's been a strong prototype challenge team making the jump to to a full weather tech season i mean it's it's the right it's the right fit um the cars are in the right performance level it'll be interesting to watch how they integrate on track with the gtd cars um as i said i think uh, several times today uh talking to staff and 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 the teams as they arrived the traffic uh, on track uh, for the Rolex 24 is not going to be for the faint of heart. <laughs> Why don't we wrap up with a, a couple of items here, John, and some of them might be a little more, uh, like I said, maybe a little more inside baseball. Been fascinating speaking with folks on the driving, team owning, all kinds of sides in GTD and GTD Pro. Some questions being raised already before we have had our first uh, official test session or practice session of the year uh, as to whether could this be a little too much of a giant 35 deep rolling traffic jam uh, now that we no longer have GTLM cars that are two, three, however many seconds faster per lap, easy separation. Could we have a problem where a front-running GTD car is trying to chase down the leader but has one of the maybe slightly slower GTD Pro cars in front of them? That's mm -hmm. going to be a nightmare to get past. Is this going to involve more uh, fisticuffs, on-track fisticuffs? Is this going to maybe look more like a, a knockdown drag-out um hockey match uh or hockey game compared to you know wine sipping sporty cars uh endurance racing could we have too much of a good thing uh, of too many cars mixed between full pro and pro-am on top of one another could there be a need to speed one class up or slow the other one down knowing that they're all the same GT3 cars to the same GT3 specs. Now we're, it's a little bit of a crystal ball question here. We've got to get cars on track to see, but I can at least tell you, John, that speaking with a lot of folks about this, it is an area of concern. I appreciate that. I think, first of all, we spent a lot of time, again, talking to uh, our manufacturer base um, and 10, 10 OEMs and GTD over the last few years, and then you integrate the, the Corvette C8R in there as well. So let's, let's call it 11. We've had a lot of discussions with them about this. We took a lot of feedback. Uh, you can ask any of them. We spent a lot of time is in a group setting, getting their feedback on, on topics of performance and tire and, you know, fuel, fuel fill time on pit, pit lane. And 
we took all that and tried to make the best decisions possible. Um, I think the primary uh, difference, we tried to keep it this way, is in the driver rating pairings in the two categories. In the end, you're 100% correct that uh, a GTD leader um, being chased and could be could be in the mix of GTD pro cars. You know, our race control team has done a great job. You know, Simon Hodgson runs the competition group, Mark Raffoff's up there, Paul Walter, Bo Barfield, and, and our group of, of driver stewards have done a really good job about uh, in, in the area of having people uh, coexist on the racetrack and race each other with respect. So it would be my hope going into the season, and hope, hope's not a strategy, as they say, but I, I would like to believe that the teams in each of the categories uh, will remember <laughs> that they're racing in separate classes, not put somebody else's race at risk, whether they're trying to do the passing or being passed, um, and put on a great, great show and still mix it up um, among the, their, their, their competition within their class. You know, that, that sounds a little blue sky, um, but that's my hope. Um, and I think, I think we'll be pleased. Um, I could be proven wrong, but I think it's going to be uh, incredibly exciting to watch people navigate um, and how they, how they do race one another. I think one of the other keys to the whole uh, success story here is the willingness um, of Corvette racing and everybody mm. um, at Chevrolet to join us in this journey. You know, as, as, as I said, we've met with every one of the OEMs and, and because of the investment Corvette had made in their GTE program, uh, we wanted to respect that. And um, we would have done the same for any other OEM that was in that situation. And Corvette from the outset was very open with us. We've been very open with them. And when you break down what we worked with Corvette on, uh, which we've communicated to all the other manufacturers, is integrating ABS into a GTE platform to get it in GT3 performance windows. We have done a fixed Lambda declaration. Um, we have them on the same fuel, uh, the you know, VP IMSA 100. Um, they have some restrictions in their gearbox and their differential, and we have them on the same Michelin S9M tire. Uh, we did a very thorough process of simulation. We did a very thorough analysis um, on the aero side, um, and that's relative to um, the FIA data that existed for the GTE car and what FIA data is there for GT3. Um, but the car has got specific places for the ballast box. It's got some restrictions on arrow. Uh, it's got some attachments on the bodywork that we've required. 
to try to get the car in the window of GT3. And, you know, we, we attended, our staff attended a uh, private test uh, such that we could get a read. And in the end, the car is also going to be required to uh, run torque sensors as it does in GTE uh, homologation. So I think we've got all the tools in place. And I think given the things that I've just shared, uh, the other OEMs uh, are confident, I hope, uh, <laughs> that we've done all the right things to get this right. And given Corvette an opportunity um, to, to have a waiver for a couple years and make sure that you know we keep them in the game, but also have a very fair fight. So it's going to be interesting, no question, but we've tried to take all the right steps to do it right. Couple more things I could throw at you, but we would turn this into a five hour uh, episode. So let's not do that. Uh, I'll save some of those maybe uh, for next week as we get closer to the race. Tell me, though, if you would, John, to close. Of course, I'd love you to break all of these items here on the podcast, but don't expect you to. Every year at the Rolex, we tend to have some form of official IMSA press conference. Last year, some big things announced. The year before, big things announced and so on. Please tell me there are some fun, new, cool, interesting, or otherwise things coming race week that IMSA fans, endurance racing fans, will look forward to learning about. Please tell me you it's not just you've painted the uh, motor coach lot, which I've heard is overflowing with, uh, with, with buses. <laughs> Yeah, if you're if you're looking for a motorhome, uh, there's I think 211 of them uh, parked across the street right now that I can see out my window. 211. Uh, yeah, we we may want to have a race with those things. Um, that, that would the, probably draw a crowd. Those aren't um, cheap. That has no joke. That has to be <laughs> that there might be more dollars worth of motor coaches at the Rolex 24 Roar than all the the value of all the race cars put together <laughs> you might be right um and it's uh it's exciting not not just the fact that we have so many competitors uh you know camping and, and using motorhomes as a proper place to rest during the race but the the, the infield is is sold out um here at the speedway so it's gonna be amazing um you know, I think uh, all I can say is, um, you know, as as a fan of the sport, and I never want to lose that feeling of being that little boy on the other side of the fence wanting to be part of the action. And um, we have got some some news to share in the, in the coming days that makes my hair stand up on my arms in a positive way. Um, it's it's really going to be neat. Um, you know, towards the end of the week at the Rolex, we'll, we'll have some opportunities to share some exciting things um, on the IMSA side and, and can't wait to be part of that. And so honored to be the person that is fortunate to, to get to deliver um, news um, that I think sets us up for a really exciting future and super appreciative of everybody who has, uh, made the decision to invest in racing with us this year. Um, and we're going to try to put on an incredible show and try to do what we did last year and have 
many of the classes come down to uh, the season finale at uh, Motul Petit Maman. So glad you didn't say, if you only knew what I knew. Uh, that's an old line that thankfully has been retired to history, but that's definitely an inside baseball one. John, always appreciate your time. Uh, we don't get a chance to do this as often as I would like, but I know that whenever we do get a chance to record something, sports car fans are always thankful. So hopefully uh, all goes well for you and the team at IMSA. And obviously uh, all the entrants there in the WeatherTech Championship Michelin Pilot, the 47 other <laughs> support series you all run, hoping uh, Daytona is a really, really good one for you. And I'm sure we'll be speaking here soon. Look forward to it. Thanks again for having me, and uh, really appreciate everybody listening. And if they um, have the opportunity, uh, ask everybody to tune in at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday the 29th on NBC Network, um, on Peacock, uh, NBC Peacock, um, to, to check out the 60th running of the Rolex 24. Uh, Frank Kelleher and his team at the Speedway have done an incredible job getting ready, and uh, we're excited to, to kick off the 2022 uh, WeatherTech Championship. So thanks for having me.